Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I have written you, written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. How long have we been in Galatians anyway? It's been a while. Was it the first of the year we started? I don't remember. I was going to look it up because I think it's been a while. This is the last section of it. And you want to be good and look good. So we have to get it all in the right places. Otherwise, it's not going to look good. I wore a suit the other day somewhere. I don't know where I went. But they said, man, you look good. I said, yeah, it takes a long time to get the, you know this put arrangement on. But we all like to feel good, be good, look good. It's a thing. Hit the like button, you know. It's all good stuff. And it's odd, but in Paul's day, he's basically saying the same thing in this conclusion of things. Like there's a way for this to work. Now we have talked about, I think, everything under the sun, the, the fickleness of the Celtic people that made up the area of Galatia and how quick they were to jump to almost anything that blew through the air. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Let's go do it. And away they went. You know, it's like, yeah, but that road has a cliff on You know, they didn't care. It's just whatever they did, they did with enthusiasm, and they just never really thought it through very much. The Galatians. And Paul was there for a while, preached the gospel. Some of them got saved, started a church. Going pretty good. Things are coming along. And some of these Old Testament Jewish guys that maybe were wrestling with Jesus being Messiah, but maybe they were just thinking, you know, it could die out, this Jesus thing is Messiah. So we want to take advantage of these Gentile proselytes and see if we can't get them initiated into a little bit of the Old Testament Judaism legal stuff, because... If this Jesus thing sort of dies out, then they'll be halfway converted into Judaism. So we just kind of, you know, walk the fence and make sure that when this thing blows over, we have ourselves some disciples and some proselytes and some converts to the new system. And there's, a, there's several different ideas as to why the Jewish people were pushing that. I mean, if you think that Jesus was a good Jew and kept the, the law and could be the Messiah, 
And so you're trying to impose Jewish law onto people in order to fulfill the Old Testament. You're kind of like saying yes to Jesus at the same time, but it's so mixed up that uh, Paul says, this is not good. And way back in the beginning, he said, if you add the law, you subtract Christ. And so we were talking about, wait, does anybody here want to be a good Jesus follower? Oh yeah, we all do. But being a good Jesus follower won't get you saved or into heaven. That's something that comes after salvation. The first thing is the faith part. What pays for my sin? How do I get saved? How do I get sealed? How do I get sanctified? How do I get life eternal? How do I get into a relationship with God Almighty? That's the real first question. And then if you're trying to add things to that to maintain your salvation, keep your do this. If you don't do that, you're not, they'll take, you're going to lose it. And on and on it goes. And Paul said, we can't have that. It has to be really, really simple. It has to be Jesus. All for Jesus, nothing else. So Paul said, look, I was quite a Pharisee. Verse 11. He said, I was quite a Pharisee. They used to call me Saul. I was from Tarsus. I learned stuff. I knew things. I studied under a really big rabbi guy. I was a Pharisee, you know. Born in Be circumcised the eighth day by the letter of the law. Anybody knows about dead flesh? I know about dead flesh. I get it. I'm as Jewish as you can be. I wrote this letter. That's what he's saying. And all you Judaizers, all you people who are criticizing me like I don't know much. I'm too short, too blind, too stupid to make sense out of anything. Let me tell you something. I wrote this letter. My name's attached to it. I wrote it. And this guy knew his stuff. And so for anybody to say, Paul doesn't quite understand. He doesn't quite understand the value of the Old Testament law, largely represented by the term circumcision in this book. Paul doesn't understand. Paul says, oh, I understand. I understand so well. I wrote this myself. I wrote this. So you want to have a discussion about the law, and that's what this whole book has been about. I wrote it. So if you just want to be good and look good on the outside, if you're just into rule-keeping, you know, like the Pharisees who go down to the marketplace and make a big long prayer, wear long funny robes with hangy-down parts and things, and big old box stapled to their forehead with verses in it so they could pull it down like a window shade and read it. Whatever else they had going on, they needed people to know that they were the holy ones, that they were the people. We have the same thing today. We have all kinds of men wearing robes and women wearing robes and holy people doing all kinds of holy things. None of it counts. It doesn't matter if you're talking about how to get to heaven. It doesn't matter. But Paul says these people, if it's just about being good and looking good, on the surface. Verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. You're just trying to look good. I keep the law. 
I did the thing on the eighth day. Well, my mama did. I don't know. My dad, they took me down there, I guess. I don't know. I am a law keeper. So? I keep all ten of the... Okay, I keep five of them. Is that good enough? No, it's not. <laughs> to break one is to break the whole thing. We know that. But you're just trying to look good. You're just trying to... For some reason, there's some value to talking people into practicing the old law as a way of getting to heaven, as a way of earning favor with God, as a way to make points like, you know, I went to temple, I went to church, I put money in the offering, or whatever. What's your thing? I mean, what is it that we think makes us really good Christians? It falls into that same category of being a good law keeper, a rule keeper. Now, are those things bad? Maybe not. But they're bad if we think that's how we get to heaven. Because that's wrong. How we get to heaven has to do with the cross. You know, we, we and these, these fickle little Celtics were that way too. I mean, we Gentiles, we're all, we, we come from the same cloth, you know. We, uh, we all just want to look good. You know, so we clean up a little bit and we, we just, I need you to affirm my reality for me, you know, like, if, if at least 10 of you didn't say, oh, that was a lovely sermon, Pastor, I would just melt. I would not come back next week. You know, so we have these things we want to be affirmed. We want to know that people appreciate. We all I get that. But if we think somehow that I need that in order to get to heaven or I need that in order to just be a real person, to be validated as a Christian, all of that stuff is a lot like keeping Old Testament law. They were doing it for their own praise and glory, for their own benefit. Um, you, you've heard about paparazzi. I guess that's how you say those guys with the cameras. They're always spying on famous people. It's crazy, isn't it? The tabloids. Years ago, you used to have to go to the supermarket to get that stuff. Now you can just go to your famous face image book story place thing on the internet, you know, and your page. And you used to think, well, people should take pictures of famous, but now we do it ourselves. You go to a fancy restaurant, selfie, selfie. You've become your own paparazzi. You're living in your own reality show. You're trying to show the world just how great you are by all the things that you're doing, and people just like, flash, 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 you know, red carpet. It's all about me, baby. Let me see how many likes I got on my birthday, you know. 125, what people hit the like button. It's a lot like what the Pharisees were doing, just trying to make a good show in the flesh. Because that's all it is. And every one of us know, when we look at that Facebook stuff, it's like, hey, hon, look at the relatives they're posting again. We know these people. This is a laugh. They, 
What a good life. Man, that looks great. We all know the backstory, though, don't we? Jesus knows the backstory. Who are we kidding by thinking we're going to get points by being our own paparazzi and saying, Hey, God, you like my Facebook page? You want to be hit subscribe? You know? It just doesn't work that way. Now, is there anything wrong with any of that? No, we keep track of the relatives. and the, I mean, all that's good fun. The problem is in the motivation of the heart again and why we do these things and what we think. What we think about it in the long run. Did Jesus pay for my sin or not? And if he did, what else is there that I can add to that that would make God love me more than when he died at Calvary? For God so loved, there's nothing to add to it. And that's what Paul's up against, and that's how this story comes to, to an end. They would compel you to be circumcised only that <clears throat> they may not suffer persecution of the cross of Christ. <clears throat> they did not want to step out fully and clearly and say, Jesus is Messiah, Lord and Savior, in the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scripture, because if they did, they would have been thrown out of synagogue. They would have been cut off from inheritance. They would have been kicked out of the family. There's so many things that would have happened to them had they took a stand for Christ. And Paul knew that. Whether they understood it or not, hard to say. But it's funny how when the gospel is preached, there's always, seems like, always odd, strange, bad stuff that's following it. That other people other Christians never seem to wrestle with. And I think that's where Paul's life was too. As many as desire to make a good show in the flesh. Um, let's see here. Have you seen any hypocrites lately? I'd, when I, we were in Kansas, I put on the church a sign out front for a sermon one day. <laughs> Hypocrites welcome here. <laughs> anyway, I got a phone call by noon that day. I put it up that morning, I had a phone call. I said, what's that all about? It was one of the non-believers in town. They read the sign. I said, well, it's all about hypocrites in the church and out of the church. You ought to come down and listen to it. Anybody here ever feel like you're maybe a little bit on the hypocritical side? time or two maybe intentionally maybe not but after you thought about it boy that didn't look so good we all struggle with that everyone who's ever accused you of being a hypocrite is probably just as big a hypocrite because they know the law they're using to condemn you and they're not living up to it either does that make sense it's true so anybody out there on the street, those people at the gathering place are all a bunch of hypocrites. Amen, brother. <laughs> so are you. <laughs> Join the club. Come on down. You'd fit right in, and the roof won't cave in either. Just come on down. Thirteen. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Those are hypocrites. They don't keep the whole law. 
They're trying to get these Gentiles who never practiced that circumcision as a ritual of religion to perform that as though somehow that would make them holy. But yet, that's just one piece of the entire law which these guys who are requiring it, they do not keep the whole law themselves. They're violators. They're lawbreakers, just like everybody else. But yet they're requiring that these people keep a portion of the law. It's kind of odd, isn't it? Paul's calling them out. Why? They desire to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh, literally. <clears throat> they're just, I made a proselyte. Out of, I have 12 disciples, just like Jesus had. Am I the Messiah now? Ha, 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 ha. That's all they were doing. They're out gathering, you know, subscribers, followers, and like button people. It was just a different time, that's all. Human heart's basically the same. But if, if uh, I don't know even how to explain it, but a lot of clubs have rules. And if you abide by the rules of the club, the membership has benefits. And if you earn the benefits, then you're a really good member. It's just the way it is. The Christianity is not a club. The faith in Jesus Christ as Savior is a reality that we are all lost, hell-bound sinners living in the flesh with sinful natures, and we have such a serious problem that we don't recognize it from day to day. We try to cover it up by turning up the noise, pretending we're good people, joining clubs and other substance abuses, and who knows what all. We try to just cover up the reality of the fact that we have a serious problem that the Lord Jesus himself said, I got it. And he took care of it. What's left is, do we believe that? So, why worry about, now that Messiah has come, paid for all sin, why should we worry about um, whether or not God loves us? Does God love you? Me? Well, yeah. He proved it at Calvary. There's nothing else we could do, otherwise... When we get to heaven, like we've talked about before, oh, let me see your paparazzi book you got there. Wow, I didn't know this, the father says. If I had known this, I wouldn't have sent my son to die. You're, a, you're, you're something. You deserve to come in. It doesn't, isn't going to work that way. All our good works and efforts, it's just chocolate pie. It's rubbish. You know, it's no good. But they desire that you follow the law so that they can boast in your flesh that you become a little disciple, just one of their followers. <clears throat> you know, the thing about a lot of Christianity, churches, religion, whatever you want to call it, they... Everybody has a little different flair and a different take on this verse, that verse. We have these different practices, and some people do this and that. And It may or may not be scriptural. It may or may not be good. It may or may not do harm. I don't know. Dale and I were talking about foot washing the other day. It's always been one of those things that some people practice it, some people don't. But just using it as an example, 
the difference in the rightness or the wrongness of it has more to do with the motivation of my heart. So if I think God will be happy with me if I go around washing people's feet and then I'll earn points, when I get to 50, I get a free ticket to go, or I don't know, frequent flyer card type thing. That, that's a wrong motivation. But if, like Jesus said, happy are you if you do these things, if you humble yourself and love one another and love well and are willing to serve one another, even to the depths of bowing down and washing someone's feet, and some people are willing to do that, it doesn't make, it doesn't make the idea, the theology, and all of that wrong. The only thing that is in the middle is, what is the motivation of my heart in the practice of my Christian living? Because Jesus is the Savior and loves me, and therefore, I get to do these things, whatever they are, but I don't get any points for it. It doesn't, it doesn't add any value to me in the eyes of God. It's like God saying, oh, I love you so much more now that you wash somebody's feet. You're just awesome. I don't think God hates us if we don't either. I just think it's a non-issue. But there is this motivation of the heart. Am I loving well? Am I willing to sacrifice my own time, talents, and treasures to do the Jesus stuff? To do the Christianity, to live the life, regardless of what happens? I've said it before. If God, if God never answered another prayer never delivered another blessing in our lives. Is what he did at Calvary enough for us to praise him for the rest of our lives in the midst of suffering and persecution and hardship and trial and struggles? And the answer should be 100% yes, Lord. Come what may, you're the Savior. Now let me live for you the best I know how, like I ought to, as Paul would say. It all comes down to the motivation of the heart. And if the heart is just about self-worship, self-glory, self-affirmation, it's all about me. I'm the, I'm the guy. It's not good. 14. I should uh, boast in nothing but the cross of Christ, Paul said. All your bragging should be about what Calvary is all about. He's the Savior. I'm just doing my part. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm not playing games anymore. I have decided to follow Jesus. Why? Because he set me free. He paid my debt. And for freedom's sake, he set us free. It's in the last chapter. You know, we've been bought and paid for. He owns us. We're slaves. We belong to Christ. His precious blood was the full payment. You know, the earnest deposit on the transaction is the Holy Spirit of God himself with us during this whole thing. I will boast in the cross of Christ, he says. The world, not so much. The world is dead to me. When it comes to the world and its things, I've been crucified with Christ. <clears throat> Paul said this same thing in Romans, uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the power of God, and the salvation. Everyone who believes, Jew first, and also you uh, Galatian Greeks. 
For in the righteousness of God is revealed, in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, day by day, growing, going, little by little. I believe something in 1973, now 50 years later, I have added to my faith. I still have a lot to add. We have a ways to go yet. But day by day, little by little, lousy sermon after good sermon after lousy sermon, wherever, whatever, Bible readings, we keep adding to our faith. And what should we be learning? That God is righteous. And the righteousness was on full display at Calvary. And Jesus said, my righteousness is now yours. And he has become to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We belong to him. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. 15. Oh, wow, look at that. Circumcision, no circumcision. Law keeping, no law keeping. Nothing. Avails nothing. In Christ. I mean, if you are saved in, just a little word that means you have a place to stand. In Christ. Standing place. But if we're in Christ, we have his righteousness. When God looks at the Son, what does he see? His Son. When he looks at us, what does he see? His Son. Because we're in Christ. The righteousness that we have is his. And that's, our understanding of that is growing and our faith is growing. And we believe that he's the only Savior. And God the Father sees the Son. But this circumcision thing or no circumcision thing, if you are in Christ hidden, covered up in there, there's nothing to see. Why are we going to such great lengths to practice religion and superstition and personal validations and affirmations and all this stuff when you're in Christ? When God looks at him, he doesn't see our circumcision or no circumcision, our law-keeping or no law-keeping. All he sees is his son. Saved, sealed, and sanctified. We belong to Jesus. Yet there's all this effort. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Oh, there's the rest of the verse. A new creation. Yeah, something new, brand new. Never seen it before. Never been around. Fresh, recent, unused, unworn. Creation. The act of founding, establishing, building. It's a new thing. It's a whole new thing. Whatever you were before Christ, B.C., burned out ex-drug hippie, whatever. Whatever you did before you came to know the Lord, now there's a new thing. And in the whole idea of this creation is the proprietorship of the manufacturer. It's a tongue twister if you try to say it fast. It didn't seem like it should be, but boy, I butchered that several times earlier. Must be my new teeth. He owns us. Yeah, it's a new creation, but who's the creator of it? The Savior. And, and the law keeping and the no law keeping doesn't matter. What matters is the new creation, and we have a responsibility to the original manufacturer guy who owns it all. That's what he's saying. We belong to the Creator, and if we've come to Christ, 
And we're in Christ by faith. He owns us. We're like, in the auto world, they call it an OEM part. Original equipment manufactured. So we're, we're original equipment. We are new creatures created in Christ Jesus. Oddly enough, he says that in uh, Ephesians. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not about you. Let it go. Get over yourself. It's a gift that came from God, not by your works. They don't count for anything. Your law-keeping doesn't count. It avails nothing. So if you're going to boast, which is what Paul just said, boast in the cross of Christ because we are his workmanship created. There's that word. The uh, proprietorship of the manufacturer. We are the new creations created in him unto good works, which he ordained before the foundation of the world. God has work for us to do. So that's not what we're talking about. But after we've received the Savior and the grace and all that, we have things to do that he created us to do. He wants us to do it. He's prepared things for us to walk in, things for us to do. You don't get any extra points for him, though. Doesn't seem fair, does it? But if you love the Lord, you'd know, we'd all know that we have a debt of love to pay. And that we love the Lord, we're going to serve him anyway, come what may. Just the way it is. Oh, look, Jesus said the same thing to Nicodemus. Hey, Nick, your whole old thing is gone. You need to be born again. It's a whole new beginning. Something totally different. Well, what? Do I go back into my mind and again thing? He says, no, you should know the law by now. You, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't have any clue about the new creation, the new priesthood, uh, Melchizedek, any of that. You got nothing, huh? Psalm 2. Kiss the sun while there's still time. You got nothing, eh, Nicodemus? I shall pour out my spirit. You, you didn't read that in Jeremiah, Nicodemus? That there's something new coming? It all fits the same pattern. It all fits the pattern. So new creation. 16. As many as walk according to the rule. Isn't that what he just said in uh, Ephesians 2? God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here it is again. And as many as walk according to this rule. What rule? The rule of new creation. And that rule came to us based upon the law of Christ, which was last week's talk, which we know is love. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the only law that Jesus gave when he was on earth. And the law of Christ. And we should walk in the law of Christ. We should walk in the fact that we're saved by him. Death, burial, resurrection. We should walk according to this rule. That God is creating in me a new thing. A whole new creation. He doesn't do that overnight. That's little by little, faith upon faith, line upon line, whatever. It takes a while. God in his mercy decided not to show us everything that needed to be changed day one I think it would have crushed me I don't think I could have sustained the information 
that the Lord was going to say, you need to fix this, 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 and this before you come to church on Sunday, buddy. Now that you're a Christian, you better clean it up. The Lord in his grace as a good shepherd has gently led all of us as we trust him. And we're daily fighting the old flesh. I get it. And we are yielding to God and to his spirit in our lives. We're reading a book and we're learning and we're loving with each other and just kind of trying to get through this life together. But here's our faith test and we're trusting him and we're learning and we're becoming new creations. We're uh, his work, actually, and we should walk according to this rule. And in the struggle, look what we get, peace and mercy. It's all part of it. The law of Christ and his love for us. And then you got to put the meat and the cheese on the sandwich, which is this peace and uh, mercy thing. And in a minute, he's going to say, grace be with you. Makes a really good sandwich, love, Peace. What was the other one? I lost it already. Mercy and grace. It's all there. <clears throat> 17. Get off my back. I'm tired of listening to you. Don't trouble me anymore about this subject. Let no one trouble me. I bear the marks in my body. I'm done talking about this. Let's wrap this up, is basically what he's saying. He's like, <clears throat> you're never going to convince me that I'm wrong about Calvary. And the law was only given to reveal how dead the flesh was. As a matter of fact, the law, when applied to the flesh, cuts and stings and burns. It hurts. Because the law was only ever a judgment against the flesh. If you don't keep the whole thing, you get curses and crucifixion. That's what you get with the law. And maybe that's the whole thing behind the eighth day ceremony. Is to reveal the uselessness of flesh to mankind. The law hurts. And it was never intended to deliver righteousness Although Paul thought he had achieved righteousness by the law, Paul says, I have plenty of cuts and scars and wounds from preaching the gospel. These people are not willing to stand up for Christ and suffer for the Lord's sake. Check this, a couple of quotes. Uh, a guy by the name of Thayer wrote this. A mark, a mark pricked in or branded upon the body to ancient oriental usage, slaves and soldiers bore the name or a stamp of their master or commander branded or pricked, cut into their bodies to indicate what master or general they belonged to. And they were even there were even some devotees who stamped themselves in the way with the token of their gods. The pagans have always cut things. You might remember back on Mount Carmel, they were out there dancing around, whacking and cutting and serving their gods. It was an ID thing with their god. Military. When I signed up in the military, I got a set of dog tags. Hallelujah. They didn't brand them like they do on Yellowstone, you know, or hot iron. Well, they did in those days. They'd brand people. 
mark them up, tattoo them, whatever it took, to identify who they were. And well, the guy, when I was standing in line, he says, do you have any scars? And yeah, at the time I had a scar from when I worked at a celery factory. It's kind of there yet, but I got my hand caught in a conveyor. And, Shut it off! And every time the little metal thing where it held the belt together went by, rip, <laughs> rip. <laughs> Shut it. So I had quite a scar there when I was younger. So I showed him the scar. I said, okay. I said, what do you need to know that for? He says, well, if you get blown up quite a bit and we can't find much but your hand, we'll know it was you at least. We can tell your folks you're gone. I said, well, that's helpful. A real, uh, a real scarring to identify with your you know, U.S. Army. In those days, they did that maybe for the same reasons. I doubt they cared that much, but there was some kind of a camaraderie thing in the military. And people were always scarring up their bodies. You can see it on the Internet today. People still do it based on the gods and what they worship. It's all over, piercings and puncturings and things. Um, here's another quote, same idea, explaining what Paul's talking about here. Paul, once a slave of the law, had been delivered from that bondage by the Lord Jesus. Now he belonged to the Lord as a willing slave. Just as slaves were branded with the mark of their master, so Paul had the ownership marks of the Lord Jesus on his body. What were they? They were the scars which he had received at the hands of his persecutors. Now, he says, don't let anyone try to reclaim me. Don't talk to me about the brand mark of circumcision indicating bondage to the law. I wear the brand of my new master, Jesus Christ. So it kind of brings that verse to light a little bit, doesn't it? He says, I bear the marks. I wrote this letter, I signed my name, and I have the scars to justify it. I belong to Christ. Though no one follow, I'm going forward. Though none go with me. Well, the question is, are, are we saved by grace? Is Jesus our only Savior? Are we done with the world? Are we dead to that stuff? We patiently endure the hardships of being a Christian. <clears throat> now, grace is a wonderful thing. And living the Christian life isn't necessarily easy. It can be hard work. It can be so challenging that at times you say, I feel like just chucking all this and going out and tying one on. I won't ask for a show of hands, but... <clears throat> I'm thinking most of us have been there. You know, it's like... <clears throat> Sometimes when I get in that mood or that place, which is probably last Sunday night, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> when, when you're in a really tough spot and you're thinking about the grace of God and how He has kind of helped you just to overcome and to hang on, you really don't get any extra points for any of that. But I thought, before I became a Christian, I was like 21 years old when I, got, <clears throat> when I got saved. I'd been halfway around the world and back. 
That was not an easy life. You know what I mean? And so, when I'm telling you Christianity is a hard life, it's, uh, that was a lot harder. But I've been up against it a time or two. In this, this side of the cross. You know what's really funny about that? We don't get any points for it. But I served you well. I put up with the... Lord? <laughs> you don't get any points for any of that. It doesn't matter. But this is my faith walk. This is where I have the opportunity to trust Him. And every one of those battles and conflicts that we have, big or small, is just another opportunity for us to say, Lord, you're my Savior. Come what may, I'm trusting you. And if he were to open our eyes, I'm sure we'd see thousands of angels on the horizon that the Lord is still in control. I don't care how bad it is in America today. Maybe the ladies can come up and lead us in a closing song.
God and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love and they'll know we are Christians by our love all praise to the Father recite this together as our closing prayer just a few verses but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created, the new creation, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Have a great week.